to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Uchenna Osai, or UC for short. Dr. Wichena is a sex-positive pelvic health physical therapist, sexuality educator, counselor, assistant professor at the University of Texas Dell Medical School, and also serves as the pelvic health program manager at UT Health Austin. She is on the faculty for the University of Michigan and the School of Social Work Sexual Health Certification Program. Dr. Wichena is one of a small number of licensed physical therapists in the world with an AA sect certification in sexuality counseling as well as the only black physical therapist with this specific designation. She spends her days treating people with both sexual and pelvic floor dysfunction and her evenings educating the masses on everything to do with sexy time. When it comes to sexual intelligence and sex education, you see embraces always being unapologetically real, happily crunk and deliciously kind. Welcome Dr. Uchenna. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really happy that you could be here and I've been looking forward to this interview for quite a while, actually. Thank you. Well, I, I'm just so honored to be asked. This is just, I'm really excited to gab and talk all about sexy time and pelvises and all of the things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. And before we do, I just want to ask a few clarifications from your introduction. Sure. So, uh, firstly, what is happily crunk? Because I thought it was the type of dance. <laughs> is a dance like crunk is a type of dance but I always say that it's a way of being like honest with style with flair you know with your own type of swagger and I think that oftentimes when it comes to talking about sex and sexual health people are so polite with quotes you know Mm -hmm. they're so polite they're so they'll hold back and like being deliciously crunk is like it's like taking honest to like the next level. It's like just being out about it. Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's just being like real with your style, with your swagger, with your stank. And that's me. Like I'm just super duper crunk about most things, especially sex. So. Yeah. I love that. I, th- I feel like that really builds a bridge straight away with a lot of people. 100%. And it's just so useful. So useful. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. I, I'm okay. Great. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> One more thing before we get into it. What is AA sect? I know we mentioned so AA sect. Yeah. AA sect is the American association of sexuality educators, counselors, and therapists. So that's basically the governing body for anyone who wants to do work in sexuality in the U S and so they manage, they basically kind of give us structure in terms of our didactic learning, like what we need to learn, like what boxes we need to check, how much supervision hours we need. So it's very quite a rigorous process to be a certified sex therapist, counselor, or educator. And which is important because you you want mm-hmm. someone who has number one, that foundational learning. Right. Right. And because in the US it's sex, a sex therapist, counselor, educator, it's not a protected term. So Someone could, you know, go to school to be a plumber and then claim that they're a sex therapist simply because they're a person who's had sex, right? Right. Um, it's, and they could legally do that because it's not protected. And so mm-hmm. this is just one way to kind of say that, hey, I'm actually legit in what I'm talking about and what I'm doing. And I've had X amount of training and foundational learning and supervision to do this well mm-hmm. without causing harm. 
Yeah, I just want to really point that out, the supervision, the peer support. I remember when I did, yes. I started a psych degree and they were talking about peer supported, what do they call documentation and uh, peer support articles. And I was like, oh, okay, why are they, you know, so the yeah. community rallies together and supports each other for the quality that comes out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have to sit down and you have to present cases to your supervisor mm-hmm. and discuss like how you worked through that and what things you could have done better or what approaches you can implement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so invaluable. Like, I, I feel like everyone in any licensed profession should do this. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Some type of supervision. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not willing to kind of be examined, then I think that's something that is perhaps something to, or maybe, maybe a red flag or something to have a think about. Absolutely. And you know, that's, that could be like a resounding theme as we talk about sex, because there's, there's many layers to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we get into the interview, I know I'm doing it before we do this, (laughs) if you could share a little bit about yourself and your journey to how you became so qualified and why you decided to uh, go down this path. Wow. Uh, you know, that's a great question. I, it actually started when I was 15. My parents are from Nigeria and they came to the U.S., went for college and graduate school. And um, what I told my parents that, or particularly my mother, I said, hey, I, I don't want to go to school in Texas. I need to get out of here. <laughs> and, she said, and she said, okay, where do you want to go? And I said, anywhere but Texas. And my mom said, well, we can't afford to pay for out-of-state tuition. So you're going to have to get some internships and build up your resume so that you can get scholarships. So I said, okay. So I got an internship with the CFO, the certified financial officer for the Dallas Cowboys, the football team. Wow. Yeah. So I had this, I had this three day a week job. It was great. They paid me so well. I learned so much. I met all these famous people, football players, American football players. And And then I had another internship with a physical therapist because at the time I was playing soccer Mm -hmm. and I was really into soccer. And my, my mother thought, Oh, this is perfect. I thought the the woman that I was the physiotherapist that I was going to work with, I thought she was an orthopedic or sports therapist, but she was actually a pelvic health physiotherapist. And I didn't know what that was. And so our first patient was this young man with erectile dysfunction and pelvic pain. And I'm 15 and I have no, I just don't, <laughs> I was like, what, on your what radar. is this? Uh, okay. I guess I'll be in the room for this. And I remember talking to my mom during lunchtime and she says, how's it going? And I said, well, it's not what I expected. And I told her everything. And she said, well, great. You committed a whole summer to work there. So this should be really interesting for you. So I really love that my mom supported me staying with the job and And I fell in love and I thought, what a better way to spend my life helping people with this very unique, personal, private matter of having issues with your pelvic floor, with your bowel, with your, with your bladder, with your sexual function. I just, and plus, you know, I just, it's that, that those types of topics at that time, at that age, didn't Mm. bother me or scare me. I was actually quite fascinated by it. And you know, cause I didn't have any problems myself. So I just thought, wow, like this is, this would be a gift to give other people. Yeah, totally. So I fell into that from a physiotherapy standpoint. And later in my twenties, when I was in um, graduate school for this, I thought, well, 
you know, I'm learning about the pelvis and the pelvic floor and all of that, but no one's really talking about sex and sexual function. And, and as I started practicing years later, after I did a residency and, and all this postdoctoral training, I, I thought, well, I need to have more didactics on this. I need to have more foundational learning on this because even though I have my doctorate, even though I have all these things, I just didn't, I had experience, you know, as a heterosexual cisgender black woman in terms of sex, but that wasn't enough for me to actually apply skills and and interventions that my patients could benefit from. So I decided to do this certification program at University of Michigan. And I learned so much over that year and thing, and I did my supervision, I did all those things. And then, you know, now we are where we are. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just, I think that I'm so glad that you went down that path. I think it all kind of happened for a bit of a reason there. And I'm so glad that your mom was so supportive. That's, that's oh, yeah. so awesome. I, I'm very lucky. I think she, you know, the way she grew up, I think she was given the seeds to be, she was always kind of a, a rebel. She calls, she calls herself a rebel. And, you know, and she was the only one in her family who came to the U.S. Most of my aunties and my uncles, you know, went to schooling in Africa or in Europe um, and a few in Asia. Um, but no one came to, the, to America, to the U.S., and my mom did that at the age of 19. And, you know, she's, she's always been fiercely um, feminist and fiercely, you know, pro-human mm-hmm. um, and pro-choice and pro, even though she's very Catholic, mm. you know, she's a scientist, she's a chemist, but she's very Catholic. So it's very interesting to see someone who's pro-science, but also very pro-religion. Mm. At least, you know, when I, where I grew up in Texas, which is, you know, a conservative uh, state. Mm-hmm. Wow. It sounds like she, you had a really amazing upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> sounds very, very similar, except for the religious part. They're very um, right. pro-life. It sounds a lot like my mom feminist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Such yes. a great environment. I, exactly. I'm so grateful. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, so I just feel like the, the work that you're doing, like you said, at the time you were like, I have, you know, I don't have any of these problems that I'm seeing in this office, but mm-hmm. so many people do. And yes. pelvic, pelvic floor issues I know have affected friends of mine after pregnancy and can be really quite debilitating emotionally when something that was previously functioning the way it should be functioning um, and that just gets in some ways, in some, for some people, I guess, annihilated during childbirth. Yes. Yes. And yeah. Well, I, I think what's interesting about that is that, you know, childbirth is not a new thing, (laughs) right? right. It's not a new thing. Yeah. But what I think what has been emerging over the past 30 plus years is the pelvic floor dysfunction in relation to childbirth. And I think what's fascinating is that some people fare better better than others for a wide variety of reasons. But I think one of the foundational components is that is how we relate to our bodies, how we are educated about our bodies, our, our genitals, our private areas, and having the audacity to say, or permission to say, because those aren't necessarily the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something's wrong right? This isn't working well. 
and have and then be able to persist in getting care. You know, there's there's so many layers to that. Yeah. Because just like I talk about my patients who have sexual dysfunction for 25 years and they've been married for 25 years, but they come to me in their 50s. And I asked them, when did this problem start? And they said, oh, when I was 25, 24. But you're just coming, but they're just coming to me 25 years into their marriage. Mm-hmm. And what a shame. Yeah. Because there was so much shame in, in their bodies and their genitals and what they didn't know going into that relationship or marriage. Mm-hmm. And not being given the permission to say, to advocate for themselves in that capacity. You know, some people do and they, they, they get the care that they need very quickly, but some people, and it's not anyone's fault, but there's like kind of the society, the societal cultural learning that's been, that's kind of hardwired in us. Mm -hmm. And some of us are put in an environment like you and I, where we, we are given that, Hey, you've, advocate for yourself, but others are not. That's right. That's right. That can influence one's ability or timeliness in accessing healthcare. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I think it's so important. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with, you know, people who have grown up in families like us have been given the tools. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you, you were talking about the layers and uh, you said the audacity or the Permission. Permission. Let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, to anyone who may be listening and who perhaps could be in a situation like the couple that you mentioned who'd been experiencing the sexual dysfunction for 25 years. Yeah. Let's talk about some, maybe, I mean, maybe we know the reasons, like you just mentioned all of the, the pressures we have, all of the shame, all of the religion, whatever reasons. How can we, let's talk about the solution. How can we perhaps Yeah. I think that we first, so one of the first principles of doing this work in sexuality, whether you're an educator, counselor, therapist, is that, and you know, in the U.S., the difference between a therapist and a counselor and educator is a therapist is a licensed mental health professional. I am not a licensed mental health professional. You know, I'm a physiotherapist, so I can only be a counselor. So I'm not going into the deep psycho psychological right. um, piece of that. If there if there needs to be one, because not everyone needs that. Sometimes people just need straight up education and mm-hmm. specific su- suggestions and a roadmap, and they're good. And others need a little bit more. But I think the first step to doing intervention is giving patients permission to talk about their bodies and what's going on in their bodies and what's going on in their lives. So one of the first things I do for my patients is I say, what brings you in to see me? Let's talk about this. Everything's okay to talk about. So you can talk about as much or as little as you want. And sometimes giving someone the permission to say, this is a safe space. You can talk about what you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. That's the first step, right? It's kind of providing a safe environment and a place to say, I give you permission to tell me what's going on. Right. Then it comes to the audacity to kind of, first of all, say what's going on and then persist in advocating for oneself. And I think the first step for all of us, for everyone listening, is to say that you have a right to have your wellness and health. And your wellness and health can be defined by your pelvic floor function, by by your cardiovascular function by your sexual function, by literally everything. If it is distressing to you, then it is relevant. Then it is important. 
right? Because we have a lot of patients who live with pain and they're like, no, I'm okay with pain, but what's distressing to me is my urinary incontinence, right? And so that's what brings them in, Mm -hmm. right? And to have the audacity is an intentional practice, an evaluation of, of your quality of life. And to say that it, that my concerns are just as relevant as the next person is just as relevant and important as my partner. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pursue until I get someone who's going to listen and give me permission to speak. And there is reciprocity in that clinical encounter. So there's equity in how, how we're both going to work through this, how I as a patient am going to work through this and how my provider is going to help me and give me the tools to work through this. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about this intentional practice of kind of saying, putting, prioritizing yourself and then practicing, you know, speaking your truth and saying that, hey, even if, even if you're not ready to speak your truth, thinking that, thinking that and saying, you know what, this is what I want for myself and this is where I'm at and this is distressing to me and that's valuable. It's valuable enough to bring that up. It's valuable enough for me to seek assistance. And if I bring this to someone and they minimize my concern, then I'm going to continue to practice speaking my truth, chasing my goals, right? Maintaining my quality of life and finding a provider that will give me permission, provide a safe space so that we can both work together to move towards those goals that I set for myself. Mm -hmm. Really being in charge of your own care. Yeah. Yes. Well, I feel like it would be useful if we could clone you and <laughs> and you could come to different countries because I feel like, you know, um, this is so valuable. And and I, in my experience personally, and also in a lot of other people I've spoken to who's experienced, mm-hmm. they haven't always had the best healthcare yeah. from people. So, um, you know, thank you for sharing that and how we can actually keep advocating for ourselves. And, uh, and can I just say one thing? Yeah, Sorry please. to interrupt. Write down what's going on with you, write it down and then write down your goal, write down what you want to achieve. Right. Cause sometimes, you know, when I speak with my patients and I say, okay, after they tell me everything that's going on, I said, what is your goals? And sometimes people don't think about that or they're like, ah, I don't know. I'm just kind of telling you this cause I'm in so much despair. I'm so much distress. It's like, well, what would make you feel like you're making improvements? So sometimes it's a little bit hard for people to kind of give the lofty goal, but it's like, what do I need to see to feel like I'm moving in the right direction? You know, so it could be that, oh, okay, I'm going through three pads a day because of my urinary incontinence. And for me to feel like I'm getting better would be for me to go be going through two pads, not three. Right. That's a smaller goal. That's a measurable goal. That's, it has clear boundaries and, you know? Yeah. And so to say, okay, I'm moving toward that. Or for me to not feel like I need to pee every five minutes. Right. You know, every 30 minutes is fine, but every five minutes I can't function. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I feel like there's so many great questions in here that we can, <laughs> we can definitely <laughs> ask ourselves. And I, and I have had a friend who had some um, pelvic floor issues after childbirth. And, and I remember people, I often hear people say, well, it's not as bad as this person, or at least I don't do sure. this. And it's like, well, sure. minimizing your own discomfort and whatever other emotion you use to describe it, does it, it doesn't make it less because somebody else is going through something different. So absolutely. Yeah. I'm really, really glad you said that. And um, please feel free to jump in with any other suggestions or tools that people can use, because I really do feel like a lot of people leave things on the back burner. Like you said, 25 year back burner. Uh-huh. And, and 100%. I have to say too, you know, comparing yourself to other people's dysfunction 
it's like comparing like a broken car to another broke, like you're not broken, but it's like a car that's like been, been like the fender is broken. Well, my fender is not as messed up as that person's fender. It's like, they're both, they both need to be addressed. Right. They both need to go (laughs) to the shop. (laughs) They both need to go to the shop. They both need to be, you know, kind of rehabbed just like, you know, so don't compare your, your pelvic floor dysfunction or sexual challenges to someone else's, you know, just kind of keep looking at your own situation because it doesn't minimize the fact that you both still need to be working through this with a licensed provider. And it's available to you if you advocate for yourself. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about some symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction, because let's talk about what it actually is. What what does it encompass? And if somebody, because someone might be listening and they might be like, oh, well, you know, I've got some, I've heard this before, actually. I, so I had my son or my daughter and then my pelvis wasn't responding or working the same way it was prior to the children's birth. And they were like, oh, well, I thought that just happened to everybody. So I didn't yeah. really get it looked at, but I mean, how, like how different are our bodies? I know that it's as, you know, obviously a spectrum of, cause everybody's bodies are different, but what are some of the things that we, we may kind of encounter after childbirth particularly? Yeah. So some of the things that people might encounter, so sorry, let me just answer the pelvic floor dysfunction. So pelvic floor dysfunction is an umbrella term to delineate anything that goes wrong below the navel. So that can be an above the knee. So that can be urinary incontinence, urinary urgency and frequency. So urgency is always feeling like you need to urinate, which sounds not bad, but it actually can be maddening. Mm-hmm. Because if you pee and then 20 minutes later, you feel like you need to pee, pee again. And then 20 minutes later, you need to pee again. That can really disrupt your bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And frequency is just actually just going to the bathroom every 30 minutes. Like you just pee every 30 minutes. And then it could be fecal incontinence, um, constipation, pain with penetrative sex, pain with non-penetrative sex. So pain with arousal, pain with orgasm, pain with defecation, C-section scar pain, diastasis recti. So separation of the abdominal muscle wall with after pregnancy or during pregnancy. It can be like pubic symphysis pain. So like the pubic bone that's like right above the clitoris that can be separated or feel like every time you take a step, it hurts. There's just like unexplained abdominal pain, inability to control your gas. So it's a laundry list of things. And that's just focused on pregnancy because, you know, pelvic floor dysfunction is an equal opportunity employer across all genders. So uh, if you're a man or a penis owner, you could have penile pain, testicular pain, rectal pain, all of that. So that can happen as well. Um, And for our non-binary friends, you know, depending on what genitals you have that can occur as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So like you said, it really is a long laundry list. So basically yes. if we're feeling any discomfort or any pain that we have not felt before. Yes. Yes. In that particular area that requires um, specialty training and education to address. So you can't just go. I, and, and the thing is, you know, I must say that pelvic floor dysfunction requires a multidisciplinary approach so it requires, it's not a physiotherapist alone cannot, uh, is not, may or may not be the answer. You might need a dietitian or nutritionist. You might need someone who specializes in urology or gynecology, nurse midwife. You might need um, a gastroenterologist or a colorectal specialist. So someone that's focused on bowel dysfunction, you might need all, everyone, or you might need a psychotherapist or a mental health provider. So someone that can really help you in terms of managing 
any type of postpartum blues, or you might be going into your pregnancy with anxiety and depression, right? And then it gets exacerbated after giving birth, you know, so that can be a thing. And not and and that can occur also postpartum depression can occur for people who haven't carried a child, you know, so that there's there's those things that can occur as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a lot. It's a <laughs> lot. A lot of... It's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's Gosh. a lot. Okay. So what are some of the first of all, so what's the first step? So let's say, okay, I noticed something is not working for me down there the way that it normally did before or prior to something that happened before. So it could be a pregnancy or it could be an accident or something else. Yeah. What are some of the treatments that are available to people once they come and how long does it typically, I mean, I know that's kind of like how long is a piece of string, but how long does it typically take to treat? Yeah. So the treatments can be, depending on what's going on, um, it can be everything where it's just medical intervention. So if, um, let's say someone is breastfeeding, and typically with breastfeeding, your estrogen stores. So your hormone levels in terms of estrogen are in the toilet. And estrogen protects our, you know, our lubrication, our tissue stability, our joint ligament stability. It, it helps with our, you know, hydration in our skin and tissues. So you might have like what we call kind of like temporary, like menopausal state, especially if you're breastfeeding. So you, your vagina might be super dry and just like, ah, mad and And so sometimes topical estrogen can make those symptoms improve, right? And so sometimes when you have what we call vaginal atrophy, so the tissues are kind of shrinking down, it can increase symptoms of urinary urgency, frequency, and continence. So sometimes some people just need topical estrogen cream, and usually that can just be applied once or twice a day. And that's local estrogen, so it's not going into the system. So you're not ingesting that. It's not going into the bloodstream. It's just like a cream that you put on the the vagina that just keeps it happy. Um, from a physiotherapy perspective, typically, you know, I might see my patients every other week for three months time. I might see them weekly for a few weeks, depending on what they're, if it's like severe pain where they're having difficulty walking or difficulty, like just with basic function, I might see them once a week for, for a month until I can get them to a place where they're functional. Then it's like, okay, every other week, get them stronger. So I might see them for three to six months, depending on what the problem is. You know, usually if it's just one problem, like I'll see them for three months and then usually they're on their way and they're fine. But if there's multiple problems that keep popping up, right, especially if they have pre-existing issues going into their pregnancy, this is usually the time where they're like, let me just get all everything addressed. And then you might see them for a longer period of time. Um, So it's highly individually based, you know, and, and also to, I think that uh, the postpartum phase lasts for a long time. It just, it just doesn't go away after a few months, right? It can last for a few years. It takes typically up to 24 months to recover after giving birth, no matter the mode of delivery. And so how giving yourself some grace and understanding in terms of how long that repair may come. And there could be hormonal components. There could be hereditary components. There could be context, the environmental component. So you could be, I'm just pulling, you know, some simple examples, but it could be that you might, you might have some relational challenges or you might have some work challenges, or there could be financial issues, or there could be depression, mental health issues. So depending on all of those flowing factors, you know, it could make the rehabilitation process longer or shorter, you know, or, and it depends on, and it also kind of impacts the, how effective 
um, those interventions can be for you. And that's why it's important to, I always say to have like a dream team, Mm -hmm. you know, so to have someone like a mental health provider on call to have, you know, a um, nurse midwife or gynecological obstetrics and gynecological specialists on call. So whatever the issues are, you know, yoga practitioner, um, massage therapist, hypnotherapist, whatever, whatever is in your wheelhouse to have all those people ready and, and coordinating your care, I think is, you know, would be a dream and ideal. It would be a dream and ideal. And, uh, and I know that it would help a lot of people, but what if someone's not in their financial position to acquire yes. that kind of help? What, what kind of things can they do? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a lot of amazing, like online, uh, I think on social media, there are a lot of great groups. For example, um, my colleague, uh, Sarah Reardon, uh, she has the vagina whisperer. She's on Instagram and she's just basically, you know, gosh, I mean, I've, I don't have a child, but if I did, I would follow her religiously because she's, she keeps it all the way real. Like she's actually super crunk. (laughs) She keeps it all the way real about being a mom, delivering all the, the ups and downs of motherhood, of pregnancy. Uh, She does such a beautiful job of, you know, kind of delineating that and uplifting other parents and women who, who are going through the very same thing. You know, my colleague, Ashley, she has get mom strong and she has a great fitness app and it's completely free. And she has all these videos every single day of exercise that are safe. And I trust her as a physiotherapist. I don't trust many, you know, (laughs) online personal training components, but she hers is legit and she gives appropriate cues. They're safe. And she also collaborates with Sarah, you know, lots of, you know, those are the two that pop off at the top of my head. And they're also the most popular. I think they each both have a hundred thousand plus followers and it's, but they're, but they are helpful, useful interventions that I also recommend for some of my patients, you know, and I think a lot of, um, and there's also, uh, I must recommend my PFM, my pelvic floor muscles. Um, there she is, uh, Janice. She's the founder of that nonprofit organization and it's international, which, which is what I love most about it. Mm-hmm. And so many free resources <laughs> right. for women, for people with all the people, not just women for pregnancy, postpartum, and all the conditions related to pelvic floor dysfunction. I mean, that is a gem of a resource and all of that stuff is free and easy to access. And I, I appreciate what she does and what she learns. So there's that. And then also too, like on my website, I have Woke is the New Sexy, which is like, you know, basically this platform of sex education and it's divvied up into different topics. It's just pregnancy, postpartum, And so you can watch the video. I have a free downloadable workbook. So there's that as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel like that is super useful for people that just, I don't know, maybe they're not ready. I think easing yourself in as well into advocating for yourself might be helpful for some people. I just want to give it a little bit. Um, I feel like there's honestly, there's so much we could chat about, (laughs) but let's go into, um, sexuality counseling. So, um, what does you mentioned, you know, people having pain during Mm -hmm. penetrative sex, people having pain on orgasm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that if that, if I was in that position, it might deter me from having sex and sex is so healing and amazing. And I would love it to be accessible to everybody. (laughs) 
So what can we do if we are one of those people who are experiencing those things as a man or a woman or, um, or if we are non-binary as well? Yeah, I think the first thing is that, first of all, to recognize that you're not alone and that sexual dysfunction is quite common across all genders. It's just people don't really communicate it or talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, what, with a lot of my clients, a lot of times they come into me saying, I'm not sure what I can achieve with you. I just want help and guidance to improve. So it can be something as simple as I've never achieved an orgasm and I'd like to. Or I used to be achieve orgasms and I can't anymore. Or I have pain with ejaculation. Or, you know, I'm in my 30s and like I'm a virile young man. And for some reason, I can't maintain erections. Or, you know, I don't enjoy sex. How can I enjoy sex? Because I desire to enjoy sex. So things like that. And, you know, I know those sound like deep-rooted, challenging questions, which they are. But sometimes, a lot of times people have these misconceptions about sex. And so all of my interventions start with like just foundational education about sexual functioning. You know, what is, because oftentimes people think they have a dysfunction based on a myth or misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. And they spend so much time being distressed about premature ejaculation. And in their mind, they should be able to last for an hour. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, boo-boo. Where yeah. did you get that nonsense? <laughs> and so much you know, pressure. So much pressure. So much pressure. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen that a lot, where people mm-hmm. really have profound distress, and they feel so bad, and they feel like they're not, you know, they're just functioning improperly because they can't last during penetrative intercourse for an hour. And I'm like, homie, uh, the average person is like eight to 10 minutes. So you're like telling me you're lasting 20 and no, you're good. Yeah. Now is it, is sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's a session where I just spend time talking about like penetrative sex, depending on what type of sex they're having, whether it's with man, woman, you know, non-binary person, vaginal penetration, anal penetration, but it's breaking it down and then also dismantling the perception of, or their idea of masculinity or femininity, because all of us, no matter what gender you identify with, again, like I said in the beginning, that all of those underpinnings, when you look at it from an intersectional framework is hardwired in us. And that is closely linked to what we believe about sex and our own sexuality. And so that, that is the challenge, right? And so dismantling and unlearning these harmful narratives and mental scripts and replacing that with actual facts that's informed <laughs> on science, <laughs> like what, what is actually happening, because that's really important. And then what research, like academic rigor, so research based on academic rigor, Mm -hmm. and then also tailoring it to that person's individual experience and their culture that that, that is their reality, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, because that's also important because I have patients and clients who say masturbation is not an option based on my culture and religion. And I'm like, great. Okay. So tell me. And so I'm not going to say, well, let's change that. No, no. Right. Right. That's not what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. 
I asked them, what are your goals? Okay. Tell me, talk to me about what parts of master, what is it about masturbation that's problematic? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not because I need them to justify their beliefs to me. I need to know their boundaries so that when I give them suggestions, I work inside of the boundaries that make them feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and go from there. Nice. See, that sounds like an amazing support to me. (laughs) I'm just going to go to, actually, we had, I have 15 minute chats with all my guests and we had a bit of a chat and you mentioned that there was somebody who came to you and maybe it was uh, that the patient said she'd wish she found you after the birth of her first child because you helped her so much. And, And can you just explain a little bit about that? Because I feel like, you know, when you say things, it sounds like, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. But the thing is, it's actually not to a lot of people. Yeah. It's not. I think because, you know, this is, you know, and again, this is a regional thing. Like some, some countries are better at it than others. The U S we are, we're kind of trash about this. Um, we just don't, uh, talk to, to women and birthing, birthing people into about this enough. And so some people just stumble upon a nurse midwife or an obstetric gynecologist um, who understands this and says, you need to go see a physiotherapist. And they just, and they end up seeing me or my colleagues. And then some people may stumble upon me when their child is 15, their oldest is 15 and their youngest is nine. (laughs) And they've been struggling for so long. And then after four sessions, they're like, uh, it's been six weeks and I'm like 70% better. Yeah. You changed my life. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell? I spent 15 years suffering. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. I wish I was, I, I wish I was old enough to practice 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Um, but, but it's okay. You know, and it, I mean, the thing about it is like, that's the unfortunate piece. It takes people a while to get the care that they need, um, depending on where they're at. Right. And so, you know, if you're kind of in a rural (laughs) village and you have this issue, you may never access it in the way that you would if you were in living in London Mm -hmm. or, or Berlin, right. Or, or, or Dallas, Texas. Right. Um, and that's the sad reality. Are we trying to work on this to improve accessibility? Yes. Is it perfect and ideal? Yeah. And, and there's the discrepancy in equity and access that, you know, it's, it's uh, the resounding challenge in healthcare across the board. Yeah. Very, very true. Oh my gosh. Uh, you see, I feel like this has just been so incredibly valuable. I honestly feel like we could just do a whole series. <laughs> I mean, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely want to get you back again. So I, you know, I, I just think, okay, is there, before we wrap up, is there any last kind of words of wisdom. I think we've covered a lot of really useful ways to access information. Um, I mean, obviously we're going to mention where people can find you at the end, but um, is there anything else that you can leave people with if they're really struggling with kind of finding themselves in this kind of position? Um, I just want you all to know that you are not broken. Oftentimes people come to me and they say they feel that they're broken and they're not right. Um, We can address this. We can, we can improve your quality of life. Um, and even though your body has changed, it's not going to, it's not always going to, it's not going to stay that way. And so just keep fighting for what, you know, until you find the person that will validate your experience and help you 
even if you can't meet them in person, you know, there, there's so many resources out there that you can, you can readily access. So hang in there. Yeah. Actually, and on that note, are people able to access your services online if they're not in yes. the States? Great. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm 100% virtual, you know, and so, yeah, you can definitely sex counseling for sure. And um, I've had people reach out to me all over the world and I do actually try to help them find resources where they live. Um, and, you know, so don't hesitate to email me, direct message me, access me through my website. I, I will be there. And I will put all the links in the show notes, but if you could just mention how they can um, get in touch with you and we'll yeah. add it as well, obviously. Absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at UC Logic, Y-O-U-S-E-E Logic. And you can go to my website, www.uclogic.com, or you can email me directly at info at uclogic.com. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Chenna, thank you so much for being here. It has been an absolute pleasure. I will definitely be getting you back in future. I just feel like you're a wealth of information and this is so, so important and really, really improves or, you know, a lack of treatment can really be so, really impact negatively somebody's life. So uh, thank you for doing the work you're doing and for being so incredibly educated. Oh my gosh, I'm putting so much work and time (laughs) into... Just, you know, finding the gaps in your education and going, well, let me, let, let me get more educated on that. I let me that. get this better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's never ending, isn't it? It's never ending. Well, thank you for having me. No worries. You're so welcome. And you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP25. Thank you again. You're a legend. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. For listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. And find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.